So I think when it comes around to it, you should say, um, hi, I'm Peter, a high priestess and coven leader from whatever, and I'll just pretend to be you and be like, hi, okay. I'm Josie, a high priest from. We'll have <laughs> Maybe to swap I'll... accents, though. Oh. That's the part I actually want to hear is the swapping of the accents. I'm May- Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. <laughs> You've got that to a T. I'm not even going to try and attempt your accent because I don't want to offend anyone. And trying to do your accent, I will probably offend at least four different, you know, four different accented people from whatever they're at. Anyway, let's get into this. Halen, welcome to Circle Talk, everybody. A podcast for seekers, initiates and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. G, it's you, no lovely. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US. And hi, I was going to be Josie, but now I've decided I am going to carry on being myself. Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. We are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore different opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens and around the globe. We just want to remind you that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is an impossible thing to do. I'm sure you guys listening could also recite that. I know if you've been listening for all of these episodes. This is episode 27. You may want to take a moment and pause this to go back and listen to our introductory episodes. Episode zero, introductions, and episodes and episode one, definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. So this year, um, for our summit specials, we have been exploring a different branch of magic that can be associated with that Sabbath. We know that it's not always going to be perfect and a perfect fit, but this gives us the opportunity to discuss and explore different magical practices and to think more deeply about how magic ties in with what's going on around us in the world. For this episode, our Beltan and Samhain Sabbath, we've decided to focus on the Great Rite, and what that means and other practices associated with these two liminal space holidays. Before we get into that, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about what the Great Rite means, and there are a lot of misconceptions about what the Great Rite is, who can practice it, when it can be done, and everything else in between. Some hold the opinion that the Great Rite can only be done by people of opposite sexes for specific reasons that we will probably get into later. But the Great Rite isn't just a one thing meaning. It can mean different things depending on who's practicing. What about same-sex people? What about people who don't identify with the assigned birth gender? How does polarity fit into it? And what about people who have had, for example, hysterectomies? Now, with that said, today we're going to be talking about the Great Rite and why it relates to that. If you haven't got that by now, you're not listening. How can this relate to possible Samhain practices as well? And also, what about Samhain? What practices can we do for Samhain? So, all right, high five, get on the broom, and let's go, witches. So let's just jump straight into it. What is the Great Rite? What makes it great? What is its purpose? So one of the things that um, if you picked up a book by like uh, the Farrars or lots of other books that have published information about Wicca that's available to the uh, general public, you'll probably start reading and find out that it is some sort of 
some sort of union, some sort of symbolic union and act between the god and goddess. Now, one interpretation that the Farers use in their witch's Bible is where the high priestess will hold the, the athame or the athame, the black-handled knife, and the high priest will hold the cup or the chalice, and there will be a symbolic lowering of the black-handled knife into the chalice, into the wine, to bless the wine, but also to represent that union of God and goddess. When we talk about the union of God and goddess, also we link it with the union of the anima, which is the the female kind of traits hidden within the masculine and the animus, the masculine traits hidden within the feminine, which is why lots of Wiccan groups or lots of BTW groups will have the female holding the athame or the black handle knife and the male holding the, the chalice, the, the symbol of the female. The only thing I would add is like, Rather than just talking about the Farrow's book, I guess it's also, you could say, like, during that publishing boom in, like, the 90s and 2000s. I mean, I think part of that is they were, one, marketing something that they were calling Wicca to a multi-generational audience, right? So it had to be sort of safe for minors to, like, consume that material and not have people accuse them of encouraging, like, unsafe sexual practices with minors, right? And I think also part of this is still a holdover from the sex positivity movement. And some of that traction was lost in the AIDS epidemic. So bringing back this idea of like sex positivity, but also alternative ways to raising that energy, I think was part of why it was so commonly mentioned in all of those books. Yeah. And obviously with that, you know, as, as you mentioned, Josie, and as you just said, G, there was that there was that big boom. And with, you know, with the release of this material, you will have had people trying to cobble together practice format. So I suppose it's better to have. I know that the, that the Farahs, um, when they published their books, had the blessing of, of Doreen and they were kind of of the opinion that, well, if people are going to practice Wicca, then they should be practicing something that is a little bit more formed. But then what about what about working partners? What about when we talk about opposite sex working partners and same sex working partners? It's, I think it's more common than not that when we talk about the great right, people will automatically assume that it is done between partners of the of the opposite sex. And I suppose we've got to kind of talk about why people think that way. And one of the reasons that people will say that is because they say that Wicca is a fertility cult or Wicca is a fertility religion. And therefore, they automatically assume that the only kind of fertility is the fertility that can happen between a man and a woman where we produce babies. I know that we've spoken about this in, in previous podcasts. You know, fertility is not just all about making babies. It is about bringing fruition to the land. It is about that growth within inside yourself as well, personal growth and not just growth of, of, of the crops or of, of the the grass or whatever you want to term it as. You know, fertility doesn't just mean making babies. Last night when we were doing class on Beltane, I mentioned that um, when I was in college, our college pagan group used to go away and we would jump over the fires for Beltane and like how important it was for us to give a class and make sure everybody was on the same mental page about what we meant by fertility 
if you're jumping over the fires at Beltane, which was like fertility in my world, not in my womb. Like we would write it on whiteboards with diagrams because we're in college. So like most of us were sexually active in some way, right? And for those of us for whom pregnancy was a possible concern, we wanted to be very, very explicit about how we were thinking about this Beltane energy and where we were sort of inviting fertility in. And it wasn't even a question that we could redirect that Beltane energy to not physical fertility in the terms of becoming impregnated, but in or impregnating somebody else, but in the direction of like more creativity, more productivity for our, we're in college, right? So for like, for writing, for our, our creative outlets, for our whatever, right? Like all of those different places, if if you could only celebrate these things as people who were looking to be impregnate or become impregnated, it'd be a very small subset of people who were able to celebrate Beltane, right? The blessing of the fields and so on all falls under this umbrella. So I like to take it a, a step further. And although Beltane is often associated heavily with the Great Rite and sex and so on and so forth all of that misses the connotation of what we're actually talking about what we're actually pointing at so if you start looking at well what is the connotation that this uh ritual symbolism is pointing towards as opposed to the denotation then it doesn't really matter so much that they're male that they're female that its actual token whatever because the important crux here is not that you're looking at the finger but what the finger is pointing at yeah i think a lot of things within wicca you've got to you do have to kind of work out what the finger is pointed at and they come in the form of mysteries and there are lots and lots and lots of mysteries i'm sure when we talked about Wicca as a mystery tradition, we touched upon a lot of them. So if you want to know a little bit more about what we deem as the mysteries, go back and check out one of our previous podcasts. I forget the number off the top of my head. I think it was one of our earlier ones. Um, so yeah, you know, with with that said, anybody can practice the great rite. You don't, I, I don't even think that you need necessarily two people and we'll we'll get into like token and actual in in a little bit what i was just talking about with the because i don't think i actually said it i just kind of went straight into it with the athemi the athemi and the chalice i wanted to as you're speaking my brain is you know making connections or whatever and it it started to make a connection that i rejected because i thought to myself no we're not talking about sex magic we're talking about great right and so i think it's um really worth sort of notice noting that difference between great right and sex magic i think there's there's a venn diagram overlap piece here but um by and large not the great right not all sex magic is the great right at all right um and i do think that is worth noting because somebody can masturbate by themselves and be doing sex magic James, what's that face? I'm sorry, James. I apologize. You don't even need that. Like, it's 
No, that's what I'm saying, but it's not great, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's- No, I, I, I agree. I agree. It's, yes, I completely agree, and I was thinking through it, so... Yeah, that no. that was I'll, I was just trying to use that as an example of how sex magic is not great, right? Yeah, we're, we're yeah. It's 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 similar to like every Wiccan is a witch, but not every witch is a Wiccan. Like the Great Right isn't always sex magic, and sex magic isn't always the Great Right. Right. You know. Yes. And you know, it's like it's like you was just saying that that example. You don't need two people to perform sex magic i forget there is a film that is supposed to depict alistair crowley crowley i never remember how to pronounce his last name i want to say it's with somebody from iron maiden who flies the who has like a pilot's license and and flies the actual plane during the film like is this ringing a bell to anybody everybody's shaking their head josie Ah, uh, see, okay. I will try and find the film, as in I'll try and find the title. Um, but there's this one scene where where Alistair is masturbating over a sheet of paper. There's this like ejaculation, and then the next cut scene is where a piece of paper is coming out from a photocopier, and 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 the character picks it up and is like, uh, what? What is what is this kind of thing? What is this? And the point I'm getting at is that that could be seen as a form of sex magic, where you're using that sexual energy, because it's not necessarily the the act that we're that we're using here. It's the energy. It's the output. He was using that to do some form of of magic, of witchcraft, of ritual magic, whatever we want to call it. And I realize i've spoken about this and now i've completely forgotten my original point, the point sex is, magic you don't need two people cheesing on a piece of paper is not the great right cheesing on a piece of paper is not the great right yes thank you <laughs> i mean i think and this is maybe also part of our other upcoming episode wicca as a living tradition do we think that same-sex couples can only so you you already mentioned in like the athame and the chalice right and and we've also said that the great right can also be actual sexual intercourse right do we think that the only way for same-sex working partners to participate in great right is through the token i think that there are people who do or no is there something more amorphous does the great right have to be like these two ingredients specifically, or is there an underlying energy that can be captured by anybody, any two people as I do? You know what I mean? Well, I was going to check with you because you're better at science than me, but was the universe created by two people having sex? Can you confirm that? Um, No. That, no. Okay, cool. Um, All right, good. Okay. No, I didn't. No, it was not. And what also I think it's worth noting that like even in some Greek mythology, you have um like Hermaphroditos as like one of the first as like the one of the first beings out of chaos, right? So in that case, maybe you can relate it more to this idea of creativity and creative forces and two things coming together. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, two things coming together to make something much more than the sum of their parts. I'm thinking about like sunlight and water. And what it can do for growing things. For all life, in fact. 
I think people can get very narrow on their definitions and I think we need to be a lot broader because it is a lot broader. Yeah, and if if we're talking about the fact that when we use an athame to represent something and when we use a chalice to represent something, we're not saying that these are the, the only interpretations. But, and again, maybe I'll bat this over to G, but we all started off biologically as, as female as well. So when we throw that into the mix, you know, we're not talking about male connecting with female. We're talking about God connecting with goddess. And I know that kind of muddies the water because we see God as male and goddess as female, but we're talking about a, a, a divine union which really transcends our understanding of, of what male and female are. Well, they're all symbols anyway. Yeah. And, that, and that's all you have to remember is, is symbols don't have concrete, immutable meaning. It mm. doesn't speak to that part of our being. And so to try to make it fit in that little box it just won't. And so when you're looking at and you talk about, well, a thame, chalice, whatever, those are just symbols mm. the same way any of the other anatomy or parts of the besom or anything else is. And so as long as you're looking at it from the perspective of they're just symbols and you focus on the object that it points towards as opposed to the symbol itself – the rest of it's it becomes fairly irrelevant, you know. It's larger picture. That's, that's yeah, the best we, way I can explain it. Yeah, we've got to think of the larger picture. And one of the things that Gardner said, I forget which book it's in, but I, one of one of the things he said Wicker is all about is remembering the gods and venerating the gods in whichever way that we can. He never really mentions, you know heterosexual people can only do this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to keep in mind that that bigger picture. What is what is going on? And when we talk about the great right, what is going on is that, that union, the union of the gods. I do want to just take a quick moment to to hit on this question of like everybody starts biologically female because I think we've mentioned it a couple of times and I want to be sort of clear where we define female as the absence of a Y chromosome, right? Which like somebody can have some, a person can exist with only an X chromosome and no Y chromosome, but you can't have the reverse. The Y chromosome is really small and there's significantly more genetic information um, that is necessary for life on the X chromosome. And the Y chromosome is, is, does not contain enough information for somebody to, for a fetus or an embryo to develop without having an X chromosome, right? So if we define female biologically or genetically female as the absence of a Y chromosome, I do think that is worth noting, right? Because that X chromosome is, you know, often attributed to femaleness and everybody has an X chromosome. And I just feel like that is worth noting, right? Also, Yes, all embryos start as phenotypically female, right? So the sex organs, the gonads, don't start to develop until like six or seven weeks of gestation. It's worth noting at six or seven weeks, some people will not even know that they're pregnant, right? That is quite early in the process. 
And at that point, all embryos are phenotypically female, as in there's no visible external sexual genitalia. So when we say like everybody starts as female, what we really mean is there are no external sexual genitalia that you could look at to determine and say you're having a boy, quote unquote, or you're having a girl, quote unquote. I don't know that anybody actually cares about that, but I do want to say it because I love the idea that we all start female. I think it's really nice because um, women have gotten short shrift for like all of human history. But I do want to point out that that's sort of what we're talking about when we say that is that there's no sex organs. And because female sex organs are internal, we say that phenotypically the physical appearance of a six to seven week embryo would be female. It is worth noting a six to seven week embryo actually just kind of looks like a maggot, maybe um, with maybe like two little arm buds. It is not remotely human in appearance at all. So it's kind of a stretch anyway. Uh, But I do want to clarify what that means because the biology teacher in me really felt the need to do that. So I apologize. Uh, Thank you for listening to my TED talk. No, no, don't apologize. I think this is one of the things that enriches us as a podcast. People come for the Wicca and the witchcraft, but then they get all of this extra content and now they can go out knowing a little bit more and not just about Wicca and witchcraft. And the accents. And the accents. So they come they come for the accents, right? That's they come for the accents. And, and not P- me and Your James's accent. accent. Or Peter's no, accent. They come for Josie's <laughs> accent. Josie and Peter's. I think... <laughs> Maybe James, because he's got that nice southern... Southern draw. Yeah. They come for all of our accents. Uh, nobody's coming Maybe... for this part of US accent. It's just it's just grating. Maybe we should put a poll on the page. <laughs> Whose accent do you like listening to best? No, we know who's going to win that one. Yeah. Joseph. Even my friends tell me, like, I love listening to Peter talk. I'm like, thanks so much. <laughs> it's it's yeah. funny because, like... I like you can't hear your own accent, canoe. So I don't know what I don't really know what they're referring to. But listeners, if you like it, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've let's get back to it. So we've touched we've touched upon like what what does the great right mean? We've we've spoken about using the great right with the athame and the chalice, and that's called the token version of the great right because on the on the flip side is is back to that that kind of like the great right being a sex magic um right where it is performed in actuality between two consenting adults and but also two adults that are already in a a loving relationship that who are together it's not just two random people who are just like oh yeah you know i choose you and i choose you it's not that. It's between two people who are already in a relationship. So when we talk about in in actual, we're talking about actual. We're talking about token. It's with the it's with the athlete and the chalice. Now I also want to touch upon uh, something that I know Yvonne has spoken about in the past, where they will say to kind of remove that element of male and female. If you want to be a little bit more inclusive, where they will talk about. I forget which way around it is, so please correct me if I get this wrong. Where the athame is to the beloved, and the cup is to the lover, or maybe it's the other way around. But if if you want that practice to be a little bit more inclusive, there are there are ways that that you can do that, and it kind of brings us back to the fact that you know 
is it just straight people that can practice the great right? No, it, it's not just straight people. The great right can be done between, you know, anybody who wants to practice it between themselves who are consenting and, and, and no kind of implications is the wrong word, but what the end goal is. I hope, I hope that makes sense. There would be far fewer Wiccans if only straight people could do Wicca. Definitely. Definitely. I would have been the only one in my first coven. Just saying. There was a really yeah. good chat in the Discord. There's a BTW Discord listeners, um, but I don't recall if it was in the initiates chat or in the main chat, so I'm not sure. But lots of people did share that they use different language than male and female as for for the ritual combination of the athami and the chalice and so a lot of people like yvonne you know have come up with different language or more inclusive language or not just more inclusive but i want to say like more expanded language right to sort of think about the fact that the 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 kind of we're talking about earth we're talking about agriculture we're talking about growth in the fields like we want to sort of be thinking really broadly about what's happening um, in terms of that energy instead of just focusing on like the human body, I think, when we're talking about deities and like large global forces, right? Well, there are yeah. so many there are so many symbols that point towards the same thing. And the more of those that you become familiar with, the more you have pointing towards the same thing. And so you're able to gaze in the right direction easier. It's my thought process on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to kind of do a bit of research to see exactly where this idea came from, from a, from a, a Wiccan point of view, from a BTW point of view, of, you know, like fertility just equals making babies and heterosexual sex. I think that would be something really interesting because I I think I subscribe to the to the notion that BTW and British traditional Wicca was a fertility cult small C when I when I first began practicing. I can't remember whether that was practicing Wicca two C's or Wicca one C. But as as I've kind of grown into my into my Wiccan self, I don't necessarily see Wicca anymore as this major fertility cult, small c, you know, I see it as as this reincarnation cult. And I'm sure that Gardner said somewhere, again, in one of his books, it might be High Magic's Aid, I can't remember, that, you know, one of one of one of the reasons that we are wicker and of the wicker is because we are reborn again and we will love and know and remember those that have gone before us, in, including the gods. So I would yeah, just just a little like side note, I think I think that'd be quite interesting to see where this notion came from. Like Wicca is Wicca's a fertility cult. Maybe maybe it's because I suppose when it was first coming coming to light and coming into the public sphere, uh, you know, it sounds nice, doesn't it? Wicca's a fertility cult. Wicca's love and light. I suppose if you want to push the Wiccan agenda, then you put a positive slant on it for right reasons or wrong reasons. But yeah, maybe um maybe if anybody has any any else on that, listeners, you can you can chime in. I think, and like, please correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong. Please send us angry emails. We really like them. 
I think it's partly because of all of the material that influenced um, a lot of what was being written at the time. We know Gardner was influenced by some of these writers from like the late 1800s, early 1900s, who wrote quite romantically about the land and agriculture and and rural life as they saw the Industrial Revolution eating up more and more bits of land, as they saw people moving off the country and into the cities to work. Um, This notion of agriculture and the seasons and rural idyllic things became really romanticised. And I think that has fed into a lot of the early ideas of some of these early witches. I think um, also during these times, especially during the Victorian era, death was a lot less taboo than sex. And to sound taboo, I think people leaned more into the sex and fertility side of things. And and even this idea of fertility and these, like the Venus statues and things like that, and I'm doing air quotes here, these are all very um, kind of pushed by writers of this era, of this era, and archaeology of this era was very, very white, old white guy dominated. Um, it's complex, and I think a lot of these ideas fed into it anyway. There's my TED talk. Oh no, Peter's gone. Sorry, I had to let the cat out before he started screaming. Yeah, it is like you know, it is it is complicated as well. Trying to move away from from that from from those thought processes and ensuring that we that we keep when Wicker is kept relevant to practices in 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 this day and age. But I think we've we've spoken a lot about about the Great Right, and we'll come back to how the Great Right relates to to the current Sabbaths at the moment. But what about what about the other side of the coin? We're also we also have Sawin coming up as well. I can see Josie is like smiling because she knows that I'm gonna just bat it straight to her now in a second. But there are commonalities between both Beltan and Sawin. It's common to hear that obviously they're they're six months apart, so therefore they're kind of opposites of each other, but also equal in the sense that they are liminal times, they are liminal spaces. We hear talk of being able to connect better with spirits who can pass through the veil a little bit easier and talking about connecting with our with our ancestors and, and remembering those who've gone before us. But now I am going to bat it over to Josie, just, just so she can take us through some, you know, maybe how how this relates to Samhain, Josie. Well, I think with Samhain and that darker half of the year and going inward and um death and underworld sort of related stuff i look towards some of the mythology that a lot of witches draw upon um the hades and persephone myth is a good one going into the underworld meeting your lover so i think for me that's probably where i would take it thinking about the great right so in irish mythology there is uh part of one of the myths where uh undoubta the Dagda and his alleged wife on Morrigan. Um, myth is a bit unclear on their relationship. But at Samhain, he beds her next to the river Bowen. And uh, Bowen harkens back to the, the great cow, mother, milk, flowing life, and all of that. Um, and he is a symbol of uh, all that is 
fertile and the the spark of fire and so on and so forth but she is the goddess of death so there is a a relationship between the interplay of life and death and sex all that speaks to the primal existence of humanity so that's the myth i look at but that's because my own personal craft is very much saturated in the, the myths of Iyer and druidry and things like that yeah i think maybe one common goddess that not pops up is the wrong word but like when we when we think about sowing practices when goddess pops up into our head lots of us will think of, of of hecate and when i say lots of us like lots of lots of people will get into wicca or, or were quite well read or do a lot of work with goddess hecate will will pop up and people will say oh yes you know hecate is a is a is a dark goddess but i don't necessarily agree with that because when we look at hecate she 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 bears torches so therefore she is the light bearer and there's that link with with the with the bell part linking to to european like like the root of it i think means light and tan or tain meaning meaning fire so there's that link with hecate at at beltane at beltane the time of of this season where she could be invoked during a ritual and that that's not always so so evident or so like oh yeah you know the first goddess i'm going to think of for 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 beltan practice is is hecate like a lot of people don't see that connection don't get me wrong she can be invoked during darker times as well during sawin practices which is why i think you you've got that that she is a goddess of many roads and of crossroads and not just of maybe one particular thing yeah, she, I mean, she's a god of liminal spaces, right? And the the cross-quarter days are, by their nature, liminal spaces. And so I think that it's not at all wrong to, to worship her or think about her in those times. She also has a direct role in that Persephone myth that I was talking about earlier. It's, it's her who helps Persephone find her way back out of the underworld. And in that way, she's a, like a guide for lost children. Yeah, I... I, so I was going to say, like, also something to appreciate about Hecate is that she's sometimes referred to as a virgin goddess because she wasn't married. But there's also plenty of myths where she has children, right, which is unlike Hestia and unlike Artemis. So there's an so she's got that sort of like freedom and that um, she stands on her own. Um, and then I think some in some of that ways, she's an interesting figure to look at for Beltane and Zalin. Yeah. And also for, you know, getting that power back to in particular females you know lots of lots of women get into the craft because they've seen that 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 oppressive patriarchy and if and if hecate is there standing on her own saying do you know what like sticking it up to the patriarchy she would be a a, a good a good goddess to work with from that kind of like feminine aspect of workings i think so what about um at Samhain, when when we have ancestor worship or ancestor veneration, we've we've spoken really briefly about how the spirits, the spirits in air quotes, can pass through the veil that's that's thinned at Beltan and Samhain, and a lot of rituals around Samhain will evolve around this this motif of venerating your ancestors, and you know 
worshipping or at least setting a place at the table for those who've who've gone gone before us. There's a ritual I learned years ago called reddening the bones. And essentially you take pomegranate juice and uh, static dance and chant to redden the bones of your ancestors so that you can enliven them so that they can uh, ascend to our world through the veil for said dance, serpent dance, etc. during the rite with you. But it's that same idea of through working with the ancestors, you, you're not just acknowledging them, but you're enlivening and energizing that aspect of them that dwells in the underworld so that it can come out of rest and be a more active player in the here and now. And so I know we, as a larger cult of the Wicca, focus on that happening at Samhain, there are parts of the ritual um, that I would argue you enliven the ancestors every time you do them. Um, and that's by the nature of us being a reincarnation cult. It's, it's built into what we do. It is definitely built into what we do at Samhain because it's very uh, explicitly said. Yet another instance where I'm sitting here quietly taking notes while James speaks. Can you send me those notes, actually, Josie, once we're finished? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is very explicit during the Samhain rite that lots of us will practice from, from the Book of Shadow. So it is, it is really important. It's really pertinent. So I, I suppose we've spoken for a while now, but how do these practices actually link to the Sabbaths that we've chosen? So with with the Great Rite, lots of European folk and, and also folk across the world will celebrate, Kalan Mai will celebrate May Day with the symbology and the symbolism of of taking taking that that tree, putting it into the earth, and then dancing around it as an act of of celebration of fertility. So we've chosen to talk about the great rite at Beltan and at opposite side at Sawin, because there is there is that that fertility, there is that that birth. Lots of people will call Beltan Beltane the celebration of of birth but birth from the fact that it means a beginning it doesn't necessarily mean the birth of of a human of a child it is that start it is that that planting of of the seed which could be an idea a thought a feeling something that you've had on your to-do list for a long time and now you get to tick it off and do it beltan is is a time of creation not just between Two people, but like we've spoken through throughout this podcast, it is about the creation that that we can find within ourselves as well. Obviously, talking about ancestor worship as well and pertinent Samhain practices is obviously going to go hand in hand with the celebration of of Samhain. And we talk quite often about I I can't remember whether we've actually put this into the podcast or not, but I know we talk about sometimes when we step in the circle, especially at um, especially at Sabbath times, it's almost as if one side of the world is giving like the high five to the other side of the world because it is a dance of life and death. 
no more so than at the time of Beltan and Samhain, where we're celebrating on one side that creation, that that creation, that birth, that fertility in lots of different ways. The other side is is that that death side, the fact that the fields are now fallow, the fields are not going to produce as many crops, and we do retreat back into ourselves at the time of Samhain, from Samhain onwards. And that's, that's okay, because you can't be birthing all the time. That would literally kill you. You can't be doing it all the time. You can't be, what's the word, encroaching? No, that's the wrong word. You can't be retreating all of the time, neither. We do need, we do need that balance as well. Before maybe we start finishing up and start rounding this off, guys, does anybody have any other thoughts or, or practices for for these two times of the year? You know, I think that there's a lot of like very classic stuff that can be gotten from books and that we talked about in our last Beltane Thawan episode. Um, things like Dancing the Maypole, things like we I just mentioned jumping over the fires, right? Your your cattle going through the fires again for purification. Um we were watching the wicker man last night and i they had all of the pregnant ladies like touching and blessing the apple trees the the fields right like all of those different kinds of ways of blessing your fields for growth um i think those of us who are in the northern hemisphere right now are are thinking about and there are so many different kinds of practices that go along with that um idea of like we need a fertile earth to ensure that people get fed and so I do think that's, you know, for people who are doing home gardening or more larger scale ar- agriculture, I think those are really interesting things to think about and how that sort of ties into this idea of the sun and the earth, right? Like, or the sun and the water marriage between these pieces being needed to allow the earth to be fruitful so that everyone can be fed. And so I just want to, people should think about and and look into all of the different kinds of things if they really want to and see like what impact does it have on your crops this year if you put some of these different things into practice do you notice any benefits i think would be really interesting for for people who are new to plant witchery yeah and for more amazing ideas for celebration ideas around belt and sewing scroll back through listeners to our belt and, and sewing episodes and, and find those so I think that just about brings us to the end of today's episode, peeps. So today we've spoken about the great right and what it means, who it belongs to, you know, the fact that anybody can do it. It doesn't really mean that anatomy needs to come into it. You know, if if you can't reproduce from a biological sense or you choose not to, that's that's okay because the great right on an energetic level belongs to everybody. We've spoken about Samhain practices and how we venerate our ancestors and what that means of two sides of the same coin and how these practices relate to to both Beltan and Samhain. So our closing thought for this episode is that, again, no matter who you are, you can create and encourage and celebrate life and death. This doesn't have to be all the time procreation between two people as life lives within us all. At the same time, the veil thins at Beltan and Samhain. We remember our witch ancestors and our family and our relatives that have gone before us, who have in some way forged a path for us to be here. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches. That's four in the number four. 
on Twitter as Circle for Witches, again, the number four. Or you can drop us an email at circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions or queries or thoughts or ideas for future discussions, please, please, please do get in touch. We do love hearing from you. From all of us here at Circle Talk, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again.